Well, good morning. It is good to be with you in worship this morning. Uh, if you're joining us online watching this, good morning to you as well. Um, it's good to be with you and to talk about this particular subject, which is worship. And to do that, I want to answer, try at least to answer three questions. What is worship? How do we do it? And why is worship so important to our lives? What, how, and why? But just before we get to those questions, let me say that worship is hardwired into our DNA. We were created to worship. We were created to worship God and Him alone, but something went wrong. You see, prior to sin entering the world, our default setting, our most natural way of being human was to worship God, to worship Him in intimate communion. But after sin entered the world, our default setting, our most natural way of being in the world became worship of created things. We can't not worship. We can't not worship. It's either God or it's created things. And our default is now created things. Let me explain. You've probably heard the story about Becky. Becky was drawing a picture in Sunday school and her Sunday school teacher looked over her shoulder and asked what she was drawing. And Becky said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the Sunday school teacher was very sweet, smiled at her and said, oh, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. To which Becky confidently but humbly replied, they will when I'm done. (laughs) Oh, you guys know Becky. Um, After sin entered the world, we began drawing God up in ways that suited us. We started making him up out of stuff. We began worshiping things that were unworthy of our worship. Things like bodily sensations and material possessions, and positions of power, and the Wazoo Cougars. I was told that might give me me in trouble. And in fact, it has. Um, I believe, for example, that the celebrity culture so touted in our tabloid headlines, the kind of stuff you read, you know, kind of going through the grocery line, you're kind of looking over real quick. That stuff, it wouldn't even exist apart from our innate need to worship. Our innate need to worship something we've created. A few years back, I was flying from San Jose, California to Vancouver, British Columbia. And since I'm from California, I just think of Canada as kind of that other American state north of Washington. Sorry, Canadians. So I didn't bring my passport, so I ended up in immigration line trying to prove who I was. And I ended up right behind this man. This is uh, Benjamin Bratt. He's a famous uh, TV actor, famous movie actor. That's his wife on the left there. And uh, Benjamin Bratt was right in front of me. Uh, He is a celebrity. Unlike most celebrities who are actually very short and need lots of makeup to sort of help them look good, this man is tall, dark, and handsome. He was right here. I assure you, he was tall, dark, and handsome. He's a beautiful man. (laughs) And Benjamin Bratt was standing right in front of me in this immigration line. He was holding his daughter that looked to be about six months old. And you can see that this, this little girl's parents are freakishly beautiful. So this little girl was kind of freakishly beautiful. Now, I've always dreamed of being famous. And there in that immigration line, bumping up against an actual celebrity, I suddenly felt a deep need to prove how celebrity-like I was. I wanted Benjamin Bratt, Benjamin, (laughs) Ben. I wanted Ben to know that I was a peer. So I thought to myself, okay, play it cool. Just say something nice about his daughter. It will show him that I recognize him, but that I'm not intimidated. So what I wanted to say was, you have a beautiful daughter. What I actually said was, I like your baby. (laughs) To which Mr. Bratt replied, thanks, and pulled her just a little bit closer. (laughs) 
If we don't worship God, we will create things, little gods to worship. Things like celebrities and sports figures and politicians and ideas and lifestyles. That's what happened when sin entered the world. The focus of our worship shifted, and that shift has been catastrophic. Why? Because very simply, what we worship is who we become. What we worship is who we become, so we better worship the right thing. So let's get to these three questions. The first is, what is worship? Worship is simply orienting our entire being around God. It is turning from a self-focus to a God focus. It is celebrating with joy and reverence, as we've already done this morning, who God is and what He has done for us. Listen to these first couple of verses from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. When the psalmist tells us to sing the glory of His name, he means turn your attention to the character qualities of God. God's name is his character. God is love. He is patient. He's compassionate. He is creator. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a husband to the widow. He is a champion of the persecuted. He is provider of all we need. He alone is worthy of everything that makes us us. Now we can see examples of worship all over the place. For example, at professional sporting events, right? Fans cheering on their favorite team will jump and yell and just go crazy, put their heart, soul, and mind into supporting their team. My Scottish friend Robbie Morrison tells me this happens all the time, especially in Scotland, like violence will break out all the time. So great is the worship of that particular team. I guess this happens every once in a while for the Sounders, though maybe not as often. But how could this not happen? Because when we worship with our whole being, things start getting shaken up. Things start breaking out. You can obviously see this in music concerts too. I once went to a concert featuring what is called a boy band. A lot of judgment. <laughs> I'd like to say that I, maybe I was taking my niece or that I was taking my little sister, you know, kind of for her birthday. But the truth is I was in my late 20s and spent over $100 to go see this boy band perform. As did 40,000 preteen girls. Now, it's hard for me to articulate the otherworldly sound of 40,000 preteen girls screaming at the top of their lungs. It is a haunting and terrifying sound that sometimes still wakes me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> but that was an example of worship. Heart, money, mind, body, soul, everything worship, though not exactly the right thing. We see examples of worship in church, obviously, as we have this morning. Now, we Presbyterians aren't necessarily known for our bodily movement in worship. Instead, we often express our worship by thinking really, really hard. Just kind of. <laughs> Every once in a while, we'll, go to, we'll get a hand up, you know, or we'll nod a little bit. Or if things get really intense, we kind of close our eyes. <laughs> Nevertheless, often what's happening inside is vibrant and pulsing and dynamic. David Crowder, a modern hymn writer, puts it this way, A soul can dance in a body that's still. And this is important because the point of worship is not the style of worship. The point of worship is the object of worship. Missing this point would be like driving all the way to the Grand Canyon, kind of parking along the side of the southern rim, and then turning around looking at the car and going, wow, that's a great car. Sort of missing the point, right? 
When we confuse style of worship with the object of our worship, we start to fall into what I call the Goldilocks syndrome. We move from place to place looking for the just right experience of worship. An experience that's not too loud, not too quiet, not too modern, not too traditional, you know, just right. We start saying things like, I don't like the worship in that place. Or I didn't get a lot out of worship this morning. Worship is not about what we get out of it. Though, I'll show you in a moment, we get actually quite a bit out of worship. Rather, worship is the turning of our whole attention toward the only one who is truly worthy of it, God himself. Which brings us to that second question. How do we worship? Psalm 66 gives us more clues to this. Picking up in verse 13, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. That may sound a little weird to us, but offering sacrifices and making vows was the basic stuff of worship in the Old Testament. And there was nothing extraordinary about it. It was routine, it was fairly mundane, and it was woven into the natural rhythms of God's people. So here the psalmist is basically saying, I will do those small, ordinary things that you've asked me to do to worship you just because you've asked, and that's enough. What we see then is how we worship is almost always comprised of small, ordinary stuff. Life is mostly made up of very ordinary stuff, right? Things like waking and sleeping and eating and going to work and playing and checking Facebook. So worship, then, is mostly made up of very ordinary stuff. Things like praying and singing and serving and resting and meditating. God has immense respect for the ordinary. In fact, the ordinary is most often what he prefers to use in order to grow us up in our faith. So let me just real quickly suggest three small ways ordinary ways we can build our lives around worship of God. The first would be through Scripture. The book of Psalms, like we've been using so much this morning, for example, has for thousands of years been the church's primary uh, liturgical guide in worship. In the Psalms, we find prayers and songs documenting all kinds of praise, celebration, lament, heartache that can guide our worship of God. As you know, there are 150 Psalms, so one way you might approach them is to read five a day for a month. In the course of a month, you get through the entire book of Psalms. You might repeat this for a year, letting those words sink in more and more. Another way, and this is primarily God's people, uh, their, their preferred way for thousands of years is to memorize Scripture, to memorize various Psalms. When Jonah is trapped in the belly of that whale, he doesn't cry out with some spontaneous prayer of, God, help me. He cries out with a Psalm that he had memorized. When we read and study and memorize Scripture, the words get inside of us and direct us in our worship of God. A second way we could worship could be to use the phrase, I worship you because. I learned this from a friend of mine, and it's been very helpful to me personally. As I'm going throughout my day, I can use this phrase as a way to turn my thoughts and attention back to God in worship. I might be driving southbound 405 on a clear day and come around a corner, and there's Mount Rainier. God, I worship you because you made that. That is amazing. My wife Katie and I are expecting our first baby in less than three weeks. Yes, that is awesome. Everybody who just got excited for us, we're going to pass around a sign-up sheet for babysitting. So, um, We put pictures of his sonogram uh, on our refrigerator. And when I see those pictures, I worship you, God, because you made that. 
life out of nothing. You are so good to give us a son. Worship naturally follows out of our thanksgiving. We can worship out of our gratitude. God, I worship you because I have a job. God, I worship you because I have a family. Or even, God, I worship you because even though I don't have a job or don't have family or friends around me, yet you are for me. You are for me. There are endless reasons why we can say, I worship you because. Obviously, that word because is very important. I wouldn't say, I worship you, Mount Rainier. I worship you, Sonogram Picture. Right? I worship you, God, because of blank. And there are endless ways to fill in that blank. So try using that phrase as a way to turn your thoughts toward God and worship throughout your day. Finally, a third small way we can worship God is by collecting memories of God's goodness and faithfulness to us and to bring those memories to mind again and again throughout our day. The psalmist writes in chapter 66, verses 5 and 6, Come and see what the Lord has done, His awesome deeds for humankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in Him. Here the psalmist is bringing to mind images of the Exodus. That Exodus moment when God took his people out of Egypt, they were chased by the Egyptian armies, but he delivered them. And he's using this memory as a means of nurturing his affection for God. When I was a freshman in high school, I had a serious crush on a girl named Karen. I would send Karen anonymous love notes and gifts. When I was at youth group, I would snap pictures of my friends with my little camera, making sure that Karen was somewhere in the background of the frame. Karen was in the church youth choir, and whenever they performed, her name got printed up in the bulletin, which I would then cut out and put in a box. <laughs> I even took, the, I went through the pain of memorizing Karen's parents' license plate in case I saw them driving around town and I could identify their car. I realize now that this is called stalking. <laughs> All right? But at the time, it was just the simple ways of nurturing affection for this girl. We nurture our affection for God when we collect reminders of His goodness and His faithfulness to us. And we bring these things to mind throughout our day. It might be a piece of scripture written on a 3 by 5 card that you carry around in a wallet or a purse. It might be a photograph from an especially meaningful trip or an event where you felt God's presence or heard Him speak to you. It might be an icon like a small cross made of nails or a used communion cup or something like that. Again, we don't worship the stuff we collect. We just let that stuff point us toward God. Whatever it is, when we collect and recall and cherish memories of God's goodness and faithfulness to us, we nurture our affection for Him. We worship Him. Using Scripture, using little phrases like, I worship you because. Collecting and cherishing memories of God's goodness. Just three little ways among countless ways that we can weave a routine of worship into our lives. Now, obviously, it should be said that routine can be hazardous sometimes, right? We can get bored. We can start missing the point. We become so ritualized that we, that we miss the big picture. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with a junior high student who was still at a youth group on Wednesday night long after all the other students got home. I was kind of getting a little annoyed because... Um, this parent's students had just forgotten to pick her up. We called and we left messages on both her parents' cell phones, no luck. Finally, she called their landline and left a message on their machine that was suddenly interrupted by a voice, panicked voice saying, I'll be right there. About five minutes later, a car came screeching into the church parking lot. This student's dad was mortified. He was deeply apologetic. He explained, uh, for years, our kids have been putting themselves to bed at eight. It's been our routine. We totally forgot she's on a new schedule uh, since she started junior high. 
I started to feel a little bad for this dad and could see how bad he felt. And so I wanted to comfort him and reassure him. So putting one hand on his shoulder and looking him in square in the eye and using his full name, I just said, don't worry, Scott Dudley. I won't tell anyone about this. <laughs> I swear what I told Scott was, this is going to my next sermon. Routine can be hazardous. We know that, right? We get bored. We start to go just through the motions. But the routine of small, ordinary things is still essential to our worship of God. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Our methods of worship are repetitive and predictable and therefore available and dependable. Using the very ordinary stuff of our life to turn our attention to God is how we worship God. Which brings us to that last question. Why is worshiping God so important to our lives? Dallas Willard tells the true story of a pilot who was taking their jet fighter through a series of high-speed maneuvers. The pilot turned the controls for what they thought was a steep climb and flew straight into the ground. The pilot had been flying upside down, hadn't even realized it. Why is worship so important? Because we are often flying upside down through life at high speed, and don't even realize it. And turning our whole attention to God in worship gets us flying right side up. It changes us. Richard Foster wrote, to be in the presence of God is to change. As we begin to weave worship of God into all the ordinary parts of our lives, we begin to change. We grow in our faith. We grow in love and wisdom. We change to become more like Him. Remember, what we worship is what we become. We become more like Him, and when that happens, things start breaking out. Things start breaking through. Things start happening around us. A friend recently told me the true story of Mary Johnson. Mary Johnson is a worshiper of God. Mary's only son in 1993 was murdered outside of a party. Her son's killer was 16 years old. His name was Oshea Israel. Her son's murder was from the same neighborhood as Mary and her son. O'Shea was caught and convicted and served 17 of his 25 years in prison. And when he was released, he moved back to his old neighborhood right near Mary Johnson, whose son he had murdered. In fact, he moved in right next door to Mary. Their apartments shared a wall. But this was not some cruel twist of fate. It had actually been Mary's idea that O'Shea move in next door. In fact, it had been her advocacy that had gotten O'Shea's housing application to go through. You see, because Mary Johnson worshipped God, she believed it was her duty, an act of worship, to forgive her son's killer. So not long after O'Shea Israel was sent to prison, Mary began visiting him. You can imagine what those first few meetings were like. This rock-hard 16-year-old kid, this mom who is just crushed by the loss of her son. But over time, they started opening up to one another. Eventually, they became friends. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear, all you who fear God, let me tell you what he has done for me. Mary and O'Shea now speak regularly all over the country about their story of redemption. They're telling the story of how God is healing them both. Mary has even founded an organization called From Death to Life, which is a nonprofit working to help uh, the families of murderers and the families of victims reconcile. How did all this happen? Because Mary Johnson is a worshiper of God. 
And that worship of God has changed her. And the change in her transformed her son's murderer into a friend. That's what worship does. When we worship God, we are changed. We are healed. We are transformed. And as a result, heaven breaks through into our neighborhoods, into our friendships, into our families, into every part of our story, past, present, and future. Worship is the orienting of our entire being around God. We do it through simple, small acts. We do it because we are changed in the process, as is the world around us. But more than anything, more than anything, we worship because God is worthy. God is worthy of our worship. He is good. He is amazing. His love and His peace go beyond anything we can possibly understand. His grace is sufficient for us. His mercies toward us are made new every single day. He's patient and gentle. His heart breaks when our heart breaks. His heart rejoices when our hearts rejoice. He understands our suffering. He knows what it's like to feel totally alone. He created Yosemite Valley and the duck-billed platypus and mandarin oranges. And He has overcome darkness and He has trampled death. And in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is worthy and all broken things will be repaired. Amen? Amen. He is worthy. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we worship you because you are worthy. You alone are worthy. Forgive us for so often worshiping such silly and temporary things. Thank you for your patience with us as we learn to leave, to weave our worship of you into the ordinary details of our lives. We worship you because of who you are and what you've done for us. Amen.